Hello and welcome to the Potter's Podcast. There's a bit of a change this week that you might like. I know there's a lot of people who like it because they're not a big fan of Angeli. But we've got a new member today who's going to join in and do and put his thoughts forward on the club and what happened today against Reading and against Swansea. And that is Chris Machin. How are we, Chris? I'm very well, thanks, Ian. Hello to all our listeners. So, before we move into anything, we know people might know you from the YYY files, but just do a quick introduction of who you are, please, mate. Of course, no, no problem at all. So, diehard Stoke fan, and that was a passage of right from my, my late father. So, he was born and raised in, in Stoke-on-Trent. He met my mum at teacher training in Liverpool and moved down to Bristol, which is where I'm from, so you might detect there isn't much of a a local Stoke-on-Trent accent, but uh, I've been supporting the club since the late 90s. Seen uh, lots of ups and downs. Yeah, just just mad on Stoke and, and the club in general. Well, that's good here, because at the moment it's not too good, is it? That's what we're going to say. No, not at all. And I think you have to be passionate about the club at the moment for you to uh, even tune into the games, Ian. I know, I can tell as well, especially when Bristol at the moment down there, sunny Bristol, by the way, a lovely part of the world, it's actually they're doing a lot better than us at the moment, aren't they, Bristol City? Uh, yeah, riding high, third in the table, I believe. And Nigel Pearson, he's got the reins there, one of our old old centre-backs. Um, but yeah, I got a lot, get a lot of stick from the Robins fans down here, so uh, I'd like to change that around and get Stoke up the table, please. Well, let's hope, let's hope Alex Neal has got something hidden in his hat. But before we move on to anything else, and obviously player ratings this week, we're going to go in with the Swansea game. Now, to be honest, I didn't even get a chance to listen to it because I couldn't find a, a station to listen to it because I was at work, obviously it was on noons. So you're going to have to let us all know how that game went on. Yeah, so I think a bit of a mixed bag, it's safe to say, for the Swansea home game. Obviously, we had the highs of the Blackburn game, and, and finally that changed to a back four, which a lot of our fan base have been crying out for. Uh, as I say, mixed bag, I think there was elements of it that was good. Obviously, we started the game very well. Baker had that shot from uh, from outside the box, which came off the underside of the bar, and I don't know how Gales missed it. He just hasn't got enough purchase on the ball. I think there was times where we sort of slipped into the old habits of you know, uh, starting with a, quite a bit of intensity and, and just losing the way and, and the belief in what we're doing. And to be quite honest, we had a number of chances, Swansea had a number of chances, and, and we were lucky to nick a point at the end. But I'm glad we did. Uh, I think it was probably deserves a draw overall. Maybe I'm being a bit too positive with that. But um, as, I, as I say, created a few, but what's worrying is the amount of chances we're giving up, uh, be it back three or back four. Yeah, the defence seems to be the big problem. We'll talk about that after when we go through the player ratings, which will delightfully move in today. Stoke played Reading today, of course, at, at their ground, and they took the lead very early, didn't they, with the second minute, uh, Lucas Jow, who was 29 today as well. Happy birthday to him, not. Then we managed to pull it back in the 40th minute with, with you know, Super Ben Wilmot, as we all know is probably Stoke's best player at the moment. And then in the 57th minute, they scored a penalty, didn't they? And to be honest, I don't understand a lot of why we did this because everything was very similar. I mean, we had most of the possession. We had 60%. Both teams had 11 shots. Both had three on target. Corners, we had two more than them. We had six compared to four. But... 
a worrying sign in a stat that we're going to have to look on it today. Quick, well, probably after the game we'll discuss this. Is the fouls fifteen fouls we made against against Reading, and they only had five, and we still so basically we come out on top with the stats wise, but we just couldn't seem to get round them really, and, and we lost the game. It, it's a worrying stat, isn't it? Really, it's very worrying. I think my overall reflection is unfortunately that that could have been a game that was managed by Michael O'Neill. Similar formation. I think the game went in a similar pattern. Some very silly mistakes. And um, I know we're going to go into it later, Ian, but I was hoping for that new manager bounce. Well, we did have a new manager bounce, and that was Dean Olden, and then it's now Alex Neal, and it just feels like Michael O'Neill's back again. So he, he, I, I, think, I think we need to have a good go of an interim manager for the season and see if is is he weighing heavy on him contracts. You know, there's plenty to discuss late, later, but we're going to go into everybody's favourite part of the show, which is player ratings, and we go straight in with. I said it last week, and I've been proven right again. We're going with Bonham. So for me, I think when you're looking for a solid display, that starts at the back, and Alex Neal would have run through all the messages for the game in preparation, and within the first two minutes, as you alluded to, uh, Ian, just a calamity straight away. I've got no idea why he's coming out of his box coming out that far off of his line he certainly didn't um, judge the bounce at all um, and it, it starts in such a negative manner and I think any opposition looking at our team at the moment particularly with a back three would say hit the ball long hit the balls in the channels and let's test these out and the first test we get in the second minute we fail it spectacularly and I think it just heaps pressure on us from there. What can I say in a positive? There's a few set pieces he had to face. He claims them relatively comfortably. I think he looked to distribute eagerly where he could, but overall, I'm afraid, it's a three from me. A three? I think you've been very generous. I'm going to go in with a two for Jack Bonham. Um, as an overall display, you've got to come back from a mistake like that, a very early mistake, and we're on the back foot instantly. Let's be honest. I mean, he did a couple of good things. Like, I think he was brave with RX lad, who's ripping it up at Reading at the moment, which is Tom Ince. I thought he got down to him quite well and, and, you know, was quite brave to get in front of him. But he's not good enough for this division, is he? Which is why I'm, I'm going low. I've just... He's not good enough, is he? No, I completely agree with you. I saw in the build-up to the game there's talk about um, Alex Neal being interested in Daniel Everson, who he had on loan at Preston. Clearly the transfer window shut. Whether we can afford him at the moment in time, I don't know. But it's something that needs to be addressed as soon as possible. Yeah, it does. Uh, obviously it's been discussed on previous pods about Ben Foster and whether that's a possibility. We shall wait, wait and see. Well, that's the one I'm hoping for. Right, so now we move in to... We're going to go in with Jacob Brown, who played in a very strange position that I've not seen before, playing as a kind of a right midfield dropping to right wing back. Bit of a strange one when we brought in um, Sterling. Quite agree. So obviously Sterling, as we know, is injured at the moment. I think it was a 
an unnatural position for Jacob Brown. All I can think of is that his work rate and tenacity is is what's going through Alex Neil's Neil's head there to play him in that position. I felt it nullified what Jacob Brown is good at. I didn't particularly see him in a defensive capacity blocking any crosses coming into the box. Clearly, you're going to get an amount of work rate out of him every game in whatever position he's in. I didn't think there was much attacking threat. There wasn't much going forward either in terms of crosses. A four from me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the same with Jacob Brown as a four. I, I don't have... When he first came in and played on the right side, I didn't think it suited him. I know he had a good spell as a League One player on the right side, but he's no defensive player. I like his work rate, he never stops. But yesterday, you know, there was not much I could really talk about because whenever he got the ball, he sort of passed it instantly like it was an hot potato. He tried to break down the right, and then, of course, later in the game, he did go more of an offensive player. I didn't understand the position of putting him there, so he, he gets a four from me. I just really, really wasn't impressed with him at all, to be honest. But, we, but no, I think there is the uh, in the previous games he has played up front in the three, and I think that's where he can be effective. So he's more, you know, the four-three-three formation. No, and it's it's a very strange one because we've just got rid of a manager for making strange decisions and it's come back again and we've gone back to a back three and we'll go into that now. So the man who impressed me a lot and got man of the match in the last game that we've covered, uh, Blackburn, Morgan Fox, played sort of a, as a back defensive three and we'll go in with Fox. So for me, again, uh, I, I don't think that the, the centre-back position is his natural position. Uh, I could say this about a few players for the Reading game, but just popping up in strange places across the across the pitch, um, and the transition of play, whether that be from an attacking sense or a defensive sense, I just don't think he's sort of got the, the physicality. And, and we, we heard Michael O'Neill as he was exiting the club. Uh, I think at that point we had about a week left in the transfer window, and there was talk of getting a strong left-sided centre back in because Wilmot had been playing there. Obviously, we, we lost out on Matt Clark, and I knew when the uh, the news of two million plus pounds to acquire his services was touted about, there was no way we were going to go in for him there. I feel like he's a makeshift centre back, didn't have a great game, another four. I'm going to go over three with Morgan Fox. He's gone from having an eight to a three. Um, it's not his fault, he's not a left centre back. He's the only person for me who can play there because of the way our squad is. Um, he was out muscled a lot. He couldn't seem to get involved in the game. Every time he tried to pass his way out, he sort of kept getting broke on. Mistakes were creeping into the game, especially especially early on in the first half. I think he had a lot to do with the with the second goal, the penalty really by being out of position. Um, just get. I'm getting. I'm getting in low, and we'll go into Aiden Flint who impressed me last time out as well and. Quickly, that's been proven wrong again. Absolutely. Bipolar performances, I think, you know, up until recently, the jury had absolutely been helped. I think people have, have made judgment on, on him, Ian. Um, clearly, very slow. Um, hasn't got a turn of pace. I think in a back four, he's most comfortable. 
uh, playing him in the back three. I think he didn't cover himself in glory for the either goal. I think from the first goal, Bonham's clearly made a, a terrible um, error of judgment. But Flint's got back and he can clear the ball. And I don't understand what's happened. It, it's just come off of him and ended up in the net. Sloppy passing. And, and I think for the second goal, uh, where we gave away the penalty, I think it emanated from Klukas giving the ball away, but he's then been dragged out right onto the touchline. He's had a go to press the defender to come in for a tackle. Realised he's not going to get there, backed off, been skinned, and then the ball's gone into the box and, and the penalty happens from there. Three, I'm afraid. Uh, I'll go in with a one for Aidan Flint. I thought that was probably the second worst performance from him, to be fair. I thought his decision-making was poor. And he's so slow, and I don't know what he was trying to do when he was chasing the forward down like that, because he, he knew that he didn't have the legs to chase him. So he, he decided to back off, but by that point it was too late. And he, co- he cost us again. And it's a shame, because when, against Blackburn, when he was in that back four, he looked really solid. Def- he headed everything away, he was defending everything well, he knew when to come and when not to, but that was completely gone again. Against against Reading today, he he looked like a man lost at times. I think he was at fault for both goals. I think he he was basically shouting at Bonham to get the ball, and then decided he didn't want the ball, and it was too late by that point. The mix up had happened, and the goal went in. Not good enough. And straight away, I'm not impressed with Alex Neal with his formation. He's been fiddling around. He went with a what was it a four three three against Swansea, and then now he's gone to this system, which is very, very similar to what Michael O'Neill was doing. And I'm very worried, I've got to be honest, because we, we just look laggy at the moment in, in Flint. I feel like he's playing too many games as well. Yeah, agreed. And I think the, the lack of options is, is very worrying. It um, is, that's the problem with uh, defence. And I think, as we said, yeah, just not good enough for this level. And that's the problem, you brought him in fresh this time. But we'll go in now with... I'll be honest, he's my man of the match. Uh, ben Wilmot. Yeah, the first goal uh, obviously went into Reading's left channel, so the sort of right centre-back area. Uh, I didn't see Wilmot there at the time. Um, clearly, he, he scored the goal, so that does give him some points, but then <laughs> could knock that back down by the, the concession of the penalty. He's... Uh, gone in with a tackle with the wrong foot I think Baker hasn't helped him by going for the ball and missing it in the first instance I think there's some endeavour there, I think he was trying to make some things happen from the back but I'm, I'm with you Ian, I think probably man of the match but he's scraping the barrel uh, and I gave him a 5 overall hey, I, I went in I, went in. I mean I went in with a 6 I, I thought he took his chance well. I thought he was the best of the back three, really. The mistake came and the penalty come because Lewis Baker missed and he and he just had to do something, so he just put a leg out and tripped him up. But it was the only bad thing I thought he did, Wilmot. Um, he, didn't, he didn't shine, but at least he was trying to get the ball moving forward. It's the first time for a long time I've seen him in his natural position, which is a right-sided centre-back. And to be honest... We are scraping the barrel, let's be honest, they were poor, 
But I loved how he took the chance. I mean, some of our strikers need to have a look at how he took that chance. Beautiful swivel, bottom corner, great finish. Now, if Gale could do that and Liam Delap could do that, we wouldn't be having this problem, would we? But, you know, when our centre-backs are scoring goals, it's and especially taking it as well as he did, I've, I've probably got me Ben Wilmot's hat back on again, but I thought he did all right. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the toothlessness of the attack at the moment, clearly they're not being given that much service, but Cross comes in from a corner. It's Aidan Flint who nods it down, and uh, Wilmot who puts it in the net. Yeah, and I thought it was a good take. Right, so now we move into Fosu, who played on his more natural position, which I'm liking, uh, but still not his position, which was left wing back. Yeah, again, for me, first time he's played in that position. I agree, I don't think it's his best position. A um, couple of good crosses that he got in, just a number of times in the, in the first half that he got caught on the ball. Um, I think at times that can be inevitable, being a, a right footer playing on the left-hand side. Um, one of his worst games, I think, for Stoke, and I'll give him a four. Uh, I'll go over four as well. I mean, I, I, did, I felt a bit sorry for him, really, because for some reason, and I don't know what it is, Stoke have brought this man in to be a defensive player, and he's clearly not. He's First, he was played as a right wing-back that doesn't suit him. And I think with wing-backs, having wrong-footed wing-backs isn't the right thing to do. You, you know, if you Fosu plays best when he plays off the left side of the attack in a, as a left-winger. And you could see that with his movement forwards. He was trying to get some balls in the box. He came to nothing, which was obvious why he gets a low mark. But for me, if he plays out of the pitch, he will be a good player for Stoke. I, I could see that straight away. Well, I think so. Good athleticism. Seems to go at the defences. Uh, trying to play with wing-backs is to give us width. Uh, you're asking him to do a defensive role, which... Yes, he's filled in for before, but isn't one of his strengths. And then asking him to play on the left-hand side uh, as a defender uh, and attacker. Uh, yeah, I think it's been unfair on him. Yeah, it has. And it's it's a shame. Right, now we move into... The, there's normally a joke of Nathan Baker, but we'll go in with Lewis Baker. <laughs> At the beginning of the game, I saw him drop in deep. Uh, to pick the ball up uh, and I saw that as a positive trying to get on the ball make things happen and leading by example I think it was a really mixed afternoon for Baker if I'm honest um, I think as I'd alluded to with the penalty I think he put on a bit of a lazy tackle which didn't come off where he could have got the ball before it went into the attacking play got brought down for the penalty um, and I, I, as I say I, I think he tried to keep things ticking over um, clearly there was some frustration there as well. Five from me. Uh, I'll go over four again with uh, Baker. I, I was disappointed again. I, he was dropping deep at first and I thought, yeah, he's trying to get the ball moving. But nothing was coming from it. Like They were attacking the ball and he was trying to push it forward, but he wasn't getting anywhere with it. And this is the frustration he had with Baker. He's very hit and miss in a game, and for me, he hides too much, which is why I think he's had so many failed loan spells in his career, and he's 26 now, or he's 27. And this, yeah, and this is the first time that he's sort of getting a first-time team role, and you can see he's rusty. And 
the, the thing is for me, he needs to play higher up the pitch, Baker, because we know how good his right foot is. We've seen it twice already this season. And for me, when he's dropping back doing the Joe Allen role, I just don't think it suits him. And Joe Allen was another player that we wasted by dropping him deep when really we know Joe Allen could score goals. He proved that and even in the Premier League. But Baker's got to book his ideas up for me. If he if he wants to carry on as captain when Harry Suter comes back and wants to carry on being a first-team regular, because I'll be brutally honest with his performances at the moment, I'd be starting to think about dropping him. the thing. Right, now we move into everybody's favourite player, Sam Klukas. <laughs> the much maligned Sam Klukas. <laughs> so, he's come back into the team, I think we've got a new manager um, who, who might, he's going to give him a, a clean slate, I get that, um, you know, good pred- pedigree from his, his Premier League days, etc, but I felt the Reading game was more of the Sam, Sam Klukas that we don't... <laughs> don't like to love to be honest um, lots of sideways and backwards passing he was lucky not to get sent off um, uh, seeing the replay back there's just no need for him to sort of put his feet anywhere near the player on the ground a uh, number of times as I said when when Fosu had the ball out wide on the left and Klukas went and joined him and he just wouldn't cross the ball and he's naturally left footed um, there was the opportunity early in the second half where Tyrese Campbell made some, some good work down, down the left flank, uh, cut the ball back to him and he's just got to hit the target from there and he's skied it. Four from me. Uh, I'm going to go with a three with Sam Klukas. I thought it was... Because he has come back all right, but today he, he was leggy, he was getting frustrated as well with the players around him. You could see that. And I thought he was very lucky to stay on the pitch again because I thought he was lucky against Blackburn as well. He had an opportunity, and if it was Sam Lucas of old, because he's probably a bit rusty from lack of games, but you know you need to be testing the goalkeeper with that kind of range. It was probably our best opportunity in the game, really, other than the goal. Yeah. And you know he scored it. We we know he's got that capability of doing that anyway, but I was glad when he came off. But c- can you understand why all of a sudden he's? back a part of this squad injuries have played a part for sure uh, I think he is better in that 4-3-3 formation he's obviously done enough in the two previous games to, to get a chance as I say uh, maybe another player who's riding on the reputation quite rightly if we have that player who was in I think you know he's injured at the first part of Rowett's tenure and then came into it and was looking as a creative player Michael O'Neill's first season, he was just fantastic. Clearly, player of the season, chipped in goals and assists. And he's just not that player anymore. And I think as much as we tried to flog it with him, it's just not going to happen. No, it's not. It's not, definitely not. Right, so now we move into a player that we've been asking to come back, and he's back, and that's Smallbone. Yeah, I, I think he was given... 
what I'm trying to work out from this formation exactly where he was playing. I do like him in that cam role, and I think obviously in, in Powell's absence previously, he's, he's been doing well there. Another player who seemed to drift about the pitch a bit for me. Again, trying to get involved with things in and around the area. Uh, I don't know whether it's a sort of a, a lack of game time, lack of confidence in terms of being incisive with his play. Uh, whether he's worried about sort of getting turned and having to track back. It just seemed a bit tentative to me today. But then again, I can say that about a lot of the players. Five overall. Uh, I'll give him a, a generous four. I, I thought he was poor, really. He was trying to get things ticking along, but he's got to do more if he's in that number 10 role. He's got to come back, get pick the ball up and, and move it forward on his own. The problem is with Smallbone is I see Klukas in... Well, sorry, not Klukas. I see Smallbone should be really in that Baker role as a more central midfielder, whereas Baker should be more of a number 10 because of his finish. And... The problem is for me, he was drifting in and out of the game too much. He was going a bit missing here. Then he would come back and make a couple of good passes. But there's got to be more from him. And it, this is the problem when we get players in on loan who are rusty and haven't really played a lot of football. And Smallbone's one of them players. He, he's probably trying to find his own position as a player naturally because he hasn't played football. So this is the problem when we loan players in like this where they don't know where they where to play themselves yet because they're new to playing football. It's a big gamble from the Stoke team with players like this because he might think of himself as a winger. We don't really know at this time, do we? No. And just on reflection, how many of these young players who have come in from Premier League clubs or in Matondo's case, as an example, from abroad, how many of them have actually paid off? It really is a gamble. Yeah, and, and for Stoke, it's very rare that any of them do. And the only ones who seem to succeed are the ones because of injuries, like Harwood Bellish. He was a bit of a success because of Harry Suter's injury. Let's be honest, he wouldn't have played if, if Suter was fit. So it is one of them. Right, now we'll move in to quite poor yesterday, uh, Liam Delap. Yeah, the, the ball's just not sticking up front for him. And I think he's obviously got that central striker role and he's leading the line. Knows his position clearly, but uh, experience with um, first team football, it's going to be difficult. I think it's an unforgiving league. There's going to be big bruises since half, so we're going to bash him about a bit. Yes, he looks like he's got the physicality, but that ball needs to stick. In fairness to him, he's not getting much of a supply line into him, and there's a lot of balls that are sort of he's having to jump uh, jump for. Clearly, he's not matched, but. Uh, I think you've been very generous there Um, I was going to go in with a solid 2 for Liam Delap now I understand it's in the same category as Smallbone that this lad has only made two substitute appearances that's his career before coming to Stoke he's a young lad he's physically strong he's big I mean I think Rory needs to have a word with the wife in case that isn't his because he's the complete opposite size-wise to his dad. But only joking, by the way, before everyone jumps in, except if anyone knows he's Milkman. But clearly, today, he, he, just, he was being smacked about like no man's business. They, they were targeting the defence where they were going straight in him. They were going in hard at him. And for me, it wasn't a game for Delap. He looked very leggy. 
in the second half as well when he when he come. I mean, straight away, like 48, 50 minutes, he looked leggy. Um, he's got to get fit. And the problem is, people will say, well, he needs game time. But I look at the lap as more of it as an impact man at this moment in time. He's got to learn his trade. He's got to learn his game. And for the thing, he's got to learn. He's got to earn his place. And at the moment, I haven't seen enough from Liam Delap for him to be put in that position over Jacob Brown for me. And yesterday, the ball was bounced. Well, sorry, yesterday. I keep saying that. I was saying it last week as well. And I keep saying yesterday. Today, he, he, the ball was bouncing off him and going back to Reading. And for me, he needs to go on the bench and earn his place for me. Brown should be there. And that's why I've got in low. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point about the match fitness, and it is a fine line because you want him to play into form, but then you have to hit the ground running. You look at the West Brom uh, Burnley game now. I know Thomas Asante will have had a, a full pre-season, and he, he's been banging them in for Salford, and I know that confidence is everything. But you know, off the bench scores a goal, and that does wonders for players. At the moment, we can't afford to carry players, but it's this lack of options and the injuries that are potentially keeping them in the team. There's a lot of hype around them, isn't there, Ian? And clearly, one of the coach's sons. So uh, maybe they're sort of trying to give him a run and looking favourably upon him, but I'm with you, and he needs to start making an impact and fast. Yeah, that without question. Right, now we move into Campbell, the hero on Wednesday, and he starts because of that, which is rightfully so, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, delighted for him to get his goal. I think all of us want to see it fit and fire in Tyrese Campbell and we just pray that he can get back to what he was prior to his horrendous injury. I was a little bit worried, if I'm honest, when I didn't, I saw that Gale wasn't playing and Campbell was starting. Because again, another player that I don't think looks fit to me. So, uh, obviously we'll talk about overall tactics from Alex Neal further down the line, but what was good against Swansea was it looked like we were trying to press. Albeit we run out of steam and we need to get to that level of intensity through our fitness. But I thought there's no way he's going to be able to do that for 90 minutes. And I was just looking through the sides and he didn't come off, so we played the full 90. Uh, and I just thought he'd be puffing. Uh, I, I mentioned the chance that he set up for Klukas, which is good. I think he operates best in those channels. Um, that's where he's shown his best form and sort of jinked and past players, cutting some back. Uh, getting through on goal when he, he's been given service himself. Uh, poor link-up play today, though, for me. Five. I'll go on for five. I, th- I thought he was our best outfield attacking player today. Um, he was trying to play forward, but again, this is the lack of knowledge of the manager. I don't understand why Campbell was on the left side rather than the right, unless he was thinking instant hits. We know Campbell from his time at Stoke when he, when he broke in and started hitting the back of the net. He plays brilliantly coming in on his left foot, not running onto his left foot. So... I'm hoping that Alex Neal's just trying to find his feet and find these players. And, and his, I'm just hoping he does it quick sooner rather than later because every week I'm getting more and more worried about relegation. Campbell, for me, he's looking sharper. He's looking more ready. And I was, I thought he played well. And I think he deserves a 90 minutes because he needs to start getting that in. He needs to get that fitness back and look stronger and sharper because I still do believe, until Gale's up and running, that he's our best finisher at this time. And it looked it. I mean, for me, I would have preferred Campbell to have had a shot instead of passing it to Lucas. But 
we can only go with what we've got and that's it I was going to say he's more battle hardened to the championship than Galap isn't he so I think that's where the difference is and of course he's put the ball in the back of the net and he's created so uh, yeah I'm with you I think the lapse time is a, is a first choice will go in, but we'll go into that after. Right, the first substitute, which I'll be honest, didn't make a lot of sense to me, was Powell for Fossu. Yeah, me neither. I think that came about the hour mark. Um, so I think trying to dig a positive to to change, you know, earlier, early enough in the second half to make an impact, but I don't know what had happened then to the formation. And if we were just chopping and changing, I, I don't see how we're going to get the consistency. I think Powell's trying to find space, getting those little pockets. Um, clearly, again, he hasn't got any match fitness due to his injury in pre-season. Um, but he's intelligent. He's that type of player. Uh, he's really got the creative mind. And, um, you know, he, he hasn't lost that. I think he put a couple of good balls in down the channels over the top. He was looking forward, which is more than could be said in some of our players. Didn't, uh, didn't um, set the world on fire, sort of drifted as the game went on. Five for me. I'll go over five, to be fair, because I thought he did well, eh, Paul, when he come on. I mean, it was it was nice seeing back, because I, I didn't think we'd seen back for a couple of months yet. But he's come back early. He, 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 he could see he had vision with his passes. He was trying to pick things out. He was trying to work it. And he, he, he almost scored into the flick overhead, wasn't he? And yeah. I'll be honest, it's nice seeing back, but we need him in, a, in that cam role and sooner rather than later, I've got to be honest, we need his creativity. Right, so in the 73rd minute, a deserved sub at this point, um, Thompson for Klukas. Yeah, completely agree. So I think Thompson's been played out of position on occasion this season from the left wing back. I think clearly we see him as a central midfielder. Uh, you know, left footer who can bring balance to the team. I don't think he had much of an impact, if I'm honest, Ian. There was one cross that he had to make with his right foot, unless he wanted to go all the way back to the keeper. That ended up hitting the, uh, the goalkeeper's front post along the ground, uh, which the, the keeper gathered easily and then lay on the floor for about a minute, I think. Four. I'll go with a four as well, to be honest. I mean, he's not a left wing back. He has got a great left foot, we all know that. But I'm looking at this player, and, and I know Ange loves him to bits, I don't know why, but Ange, even like, well, she, we know she hates Tari's camera with a passion. And uh, and every time you say, she calls you a liar. So, you know, she's very clever in that way. She'd be a great politician, and But the thing I'll say with it, yeah, that right footed one, he's, he's, he's very strictly left footed, <laughs> I'll prove that. But he, he did put a good cross in and Powell was unlucky not put it in, in the net. So, you, you know, we'll talk about it after, but there's a lot I've got to say about these players. And then we then we go into the, also the 73rd minute, the most strangest sub I've seen for a while, where we brought the lap off for Taylor. When we, you know, we were chasing the game at this point. I mean, if you can explain it, we'll obviously go more into it with Alex Neal's rating, but what's going on here? <laughs> No, I think first of all I'd say that Taylor was unlucky to not start the game. Appreciate he's a young player, has little experience in the championship. Uh, being someone from Bristol, obviously I've heard a lot about him and actually been like to see a couple of the mighty Bristol Ravens games myself where he was just solid and 
actually a real goal threat from set pieces as well. Strange, strange substitution. Um, I think when he came on, there's a couple of times where he, he came forward with the ball, which was good. Didn't have a major impact. Going on the way that he rate play uh, the subs, uh, Ian, come on as a five, I'd stick with a five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll go over far as he always pretty much do, unless they do something special. Um, yeah, I was like how he was on the front foot, he was trying to get the ball up, but I, we'd, we'd sort of lost impetus at this point. The subs made no, no sense, we were all over the place. I, I, honestly, I didn't know where Nick Powell was playing half the time. I didn't know if he was up front or as a cam, I, didn't, I, I couldn't understand what was happening. Especially, it's strange substitutions. And, but he, he did alright when he came on, so I can't knock him. Defensively, he did alright. Why he didn't come on for Flint, I don't know. But obviously, the manager will know somehow. Right, 85th minute, Smallbone came off for uh, Ryan Phillips. Not much time to make an impact. Uh, what I found a bit frustrating, to be perfectly honest, was oh, I want the subs to come on and be the game changers and to, as you say, coming on in the 85th minute. So some real endeavouring, go at the defence and... It just didn't come off for him. Uh, he got caught up with Vincent on one occasion, clearly getting frustrated, didn't seem to create anything. Um, I think he's dropped from a five, and I'd give him a four. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to give him a five because he didn't have time to impact the game, so I can't really knock him down. There was a lot of running, a lot of farcical, but there wasn't really anything happening, was there? So it's just one of them for there. And the subs that weren't used were Berzik, Jagielke and Sparrow which always makes me think of Pirates of the Caribbean. That's all I can say. <laughs> so now... Well, as a, Jack <laughs> he'd probably, probably play better, to be honest, especially that dodgy run. <laughs> right, so we go into the overall rating of the performance. Yeah, not too many positives to pull, um, clearly from, from the individual player ratings. My worry that has been early in the season and now is the cohesion of the team. I really don't think they're helped by chopping and changing. We spoke about Fosu changing his positions, some of the strange substitutions. When Powell came on, what formation were we playing? When Delap came off, what formation were we playing? I don't think it helps the players in terms of their confidence and understanding of the way that the manager wants us to play. Uh, bad day at the office. Very frustrated. Three from me. Right, I'll go on with you. Two, to be honest. I, I, you you text me telling me you were going to be very negative. I'm worse. You, you, nobody can beat me. <laughs> I'll go over two because I don't understand the formation they started with. You know, Dean Holden had a good performance with that team that he played and then he swapped and changed it round. He's already put two formations in, which doesn't shout to me that he knows what to do himself at this moment in time. But we looked leggy. We looked... We looked like a team where half the squad didn't know where they were playing. And it was quite obvious, really, with the way we were attacking, the way we were completely falling short at the front ends. I mean, we've brought in players, and some of these have, have got good reputations, but the good reputations from youth levels. And that's the thing that I'm scared of here. Because a lot of people were saying, rating it like 8s and 10s for his transfer activity. I don't know if they're watching games, but... Half of those players weren't even playing today, and that which shows that how's it a good windy for me? But 
I don't know what's going on with the subs. I don't know what was happening with the late changes and what formation we were going into. I don't think the players did, and it didn't help at all. Sorry, and I, I was just going to say, yeah, in, in terms of the players, I think, yeah, poor, poor from them. We're looking at a new manager coming in and this man, new manager bounce. I don't see a player out there playing for the shirt. I don't see the drive. I don't see the enthusiasm. Um, a very, for me, it was a very surprising display in that I thought there would be more uh, effort applied, um, more endeavour. Um, but then, at the moment, and the way that we have been playing and the inconsistency... It's not going to turn around overnight, so maybe not that surprising. No, it's not. So we'll go in now with the referee rating. Yeah, I think there's a few that he let go. I think we men- mentioned that uh, Klukas was lucky to stay on the pitch. I don't think there was any absolute howlers. As much as I'd like to say that I thought he got it wrong with Redding's penalty, I don't. I think he got it right. I give him a six overall. Yeah, I, I was going to go over seven, which I'm going to go in with. I thought, I thought he was, to be fair, one of the better refs I've seen. The penalty was definitely a penalty, no question of that. I thought he let the play go on well. Um, I thought Klukas was lucky stay on the pitch, which is why he goes up two marks for me. Um, but to be honest, would it be better if Klukas had got a red card and then we might have to play somebody else? But then I look at the squad and think who. So <laughs> it's it's one of them at the moment. Let's pray for yeah, let's let's hope they go back and go. Yeah, you're off. Oh, brilliant! But then, then, then I think to myself, who's going to come in? So it's like, oh no, Lucas is better than nobody. So like, there we go. Right now, this is the one everybody's going to be entertained about. This is the first rating of Alex Neil, and it's not going to be a good one. No, it's not. I saw the the team come out and I thought we can't be playing a three-five-two. I mean, I looked at Fosu's position and I was just hoping amongst anything else that we were going to play Fox at left-back. We'd have a centre-back pairing of Flint and Wilmot and that Fosu would be playing at right-back from the off. But no, clearly it was a 3-5-2. And for me, we don't have the personnel. Uh, I think Alex Neal's got to learn very quickly. I mean, I'll give him a little bit of grace to say he's tried it, but you look at any of our matches this season where we played 3-5-2 and you come to the same conclusion so I don't know if he's been reviewing any of the games that we've had so far I would damn well hope that he has to be honest I don't know why you change from a 4-3-3 if it's not broke you know if it ain't broke don't fix it um, so we go into the game 3-5-2 clearly no Gale I, I, I said I was worried about Campbell playing the 90 minutes Neil's spoken about what he would want to bring to the club and he said about having solidity in defence. Okay, yeah, he's not wedded to any one formation. That's fair enough, but we need solidity in whatever formation that he's playing. He spoke about pressing football. Well, we've had a go at it, I think, for probably 60 minutes against Swansea, run out of puff and not even attempted it today. So I don't know what the message has been to the players. I was hoping that half-time we would revert to the four at the back we would see more of the press. But that simply didn't happen. I can forgive him to an extent at the moment because he hasn't got much choice in terms of the players that he's got and unfit players as well. But he needs to get up to speed very, very quickly. I didn't think there was any attacking, real attacking subs that he, he put on. I mean, I think in the end, he probably balanced off what he had um, from the 
original formation, but I was completely baffled by that substitution of Dilap and Conatena coming on like you were. He moved to a back four after about 70 minutes, um, but I just don't think it's going to instill confidence in the player in the players, keeping it simple and understanding their formation. As much as I'd like to give it higher and not be judgmental at the moment, it's a three from me. Hey, that's harsh. And that's coming from me. Um, I'll give him a four because he's obviously learning what's going on. This is his first full weekend to his manager. And I'll be brutally honest, I'm not impressed. The, the manager bounce just hasn't happened, let's be honest. But I don't understand why he's gone with a formation that the previous manager got sacked for because we didn't have the personnel. And he's gone and done it himself. He's basically just swapped Fosu to the left side and then brought him off very early when he was actually starting to get a bit of a grip of the game. Delap was a right decision, but then I don't understand why I brought Delap off for a defender when we were trying to get back in the game. We looked disjointed. I think the team was struggling to control the game. Flint was having a nightmare of a game, but was kept on the pitch for 90 minutes. The subs came on and it looked like they didn't know where they were playing. I mean, right, Phillips was just running around like an headless chicken. Campbell was on the wrong side and it seems like to me this is a manager that's coming very stubbornly with his own ideas and not done any research on what's happened before him. That's what it looked like to me. Um, I know we've got Sterling to come in once he's once he's caught up speed-wise and, and obviously because he's had no pre-season apart from what he's had at Chelsea. Um, he was a good player as a right-back so I'm hoping next week he goes back in with the four at the back. But I'm not impressed. Um, that's why I'm getting over four. It, it, I'm worried because of the substitutes he was making, and I don't understand what he was doing putting Brown as a right winger, as a right wing back. Sorry, I'm kind of worried already. You know, we, we were already poor under Michael O'Neill, and this was his first game. He's had a full week, well, his second game, but I'll give him any any due for Swansea. But it, it's like he learned nothing from the Swansea game and went straight into a Michael O'Neill tactic to try and sit his defensive and it doesn't work with our back line they're too weak you run, we, the only way for us to control the game and beat an opposition is by controlling the game which we kind of did with possession but as soon as we lost the ball panic stations it the red, the red alarm was going off again they just they, they, they panic under pressure and it's got to change We were in, in for him in the first place, to be honest. I'm not a fan. Preston aren't a fan. Norwich definitely aren't a fan. Fair enough, he did all right in Sunderland, in Sunderland but that was a, the most wealthiest club in that division. They were able to get Clark from the Premier League. They were able to get Patrick Roberts from the Premier League. You know, they, they've got, to be fair, more funds than we have at this moment in time. 
he's obviously come for more stability and more money, but I don't get the appeal of him. You know, if you look at Preston, they slowly got worse under his guidance. I'm amazed we went for what, what I'm amazed that our board seemed to have this obsession with him because it's the third time we've gone for him. I wouldn't be going for him because he turned us down twice. I'd go, no, that's it for him. But we've got him for him again. Are you surprised by this managerial appointment? Yes and no. I think that, I yes, I am surprised for the reasons that you've outlined. I, I don't think there's, there's anything harsh in terms of, of what you said. I think, um, you know, in terms of, of the board, and they, they clearly have favourites. Clearly, it was a quick turnaround in terms of, of who we wanted after Michael O'Neill was sacked. Um, and... From all accounts, he was their number one, number one choice. I think you know he, he's had he, he's had more experience than Michael O'Neill, obviously in, in the championship. Um, I, I was just hoping for you know to, to be that that immediate bounce. Um, and I think this is where you know we, we start to have a, a look at the players and, and other things that are going on. I'm not detracting at all from the rating that I've given and the rating that you've given for Alex Neal in this match. But I don't understand how the players have a new manager and if they're looking to impress that new manager for the display that they made against Reading, well, I didn't see that at all. I just didn't see it. Uh, and and I think that's where my worry comes from in, in terms of trying to turn this around. Uh, if, if they're being played in the wrong positions, I get it. They look tentative, but a lot of the punditry have said what a good, good team that Stoke have. But as fans, we've seen this before: players on paper and talks cheap. And I really was looking forward to the game today, and I was expecting a lot, lot more. Um, some very strange decisions, and I think it's a poor day all round from both the players and the manager. Well, it is, and I, I, I keep arguing this point, and I said it at the start of the season when the players were starting to come in. I don't understand where the, the pundits and a lot of players, people are saying, we have signed good players. I mean, you look at Clark, who we bought in, he's one example. He's a, he's basically a centre-back that's played now and again as a right-back on his loan spell at Hibernian and Ross County. But that's the only real first-team football he's played. So we're basically saying we've brought a brilliant right-back in. Fair enough, he, he scored a good goal. And, but I don't think he's good enough for what we want. Now, if we signed him on a permanent basis, then I'd go good signing because we can develop him into what we want. But when you're loaning players in, I'm looking at what we've loaned in. Other than Sterling, other than Fosu, other than... Well, I'm trying to think who else. We well, Delap is in the same category as all the rest, which I'm going to go into. Like Fosu and, mm. and Sterling, the only ones that I'm, I can think of, unless you tell me, that have played regular football on their own spells. You know, they've had two or three seasons where they've been out on loan and impressed. Especially Sterling, he was brilliant for Blackpool for two seasons on loan. So I can understand him, and I can understand Fosu, because he's played a lot of football as a left winger, now and again cut back in, in his wing wing back when when needed. But other than them two, all the other players on paper are all good youth players. You know, Smallbones come through the Southampton Academy, not had a loan spell. 
Kilkenny broke into the Bournemouth as a backup player last season. Not really, but he's only played 12 appearances before coming to Stoke. Liam Delap's only had, I think, in all 25 minutes on a pitch before coming to Stoke. But we're playing him like he's, we're putting him up front like he's, I don't know, Haaland, the way we're talking about him. You, you look at all the other loan signings as well, Clark and I'm trying to think of the others that are coming on loan. None of them have really played football. But we're, we're saying that these are brilliant signings. They could be good signings, but it's an unknown quantity that the players we've bought in. I mean, you've got Aidan Flint, who's past it and probably going to go at the end of the season anyway. Jagielka will probably retire when he gets the six months of his contract. You know, Gale, we know is good. He's, he's hit four goals all offside, but we know half a chance he will score goals. But because he hasn't been playing regular football, we don't know if he's done. You know, he's 32 years of age. Ian Wright ended at 32 and had to go Celtic where he failed and Burnley. It's a big gamble what Stoker said and I don't understand where that's coming from that we've got a good squad. I mean, you might do, but I don't understand where this on paper we've got a good squad. These are untested players. You know, yeah, agreed. Uh, I think it's all from, from what's been done. Uh, and I'm not looking to pick on him uh, I think he will be a very good player um, I really hope he is and he, he, certainly some of the attributes that he's showing for a 19 year old are, are excellent uh, and clearly Man City see a big future for him as well but it's, it's unproven and I think yeah the, the, on paper and talking about it is very different to actually consistently putting in these performances in the, in the championship game in, game out and it's a slog across 46 games of a season, and you've got to be at it every single game. And, uh, you know, for years and years, as a, a group of individuals and as a team, the inconsistency is, is so frustrating. Yeah, I, I, for me, I can't say that, well, we've got a great squad until it's proven. And at the moment, I'm not, I'm not getting proved anything um, apart from further inconsistency uh, lack of goals and not a lot of creativity um, which obviously can account for the lack of goals well yeah I mean we're looking at it and if we look at it really it's a youth team that we've brought in I mean we've brought in let's be honest Connor Taylor even though we're talking about he's a young player and he's, he's learning his trade he's actually played more games than Smallbone has than Clark has, than Kilkenny has, than Delap has, but because these because because these have come on off loan from you basically youth academies of other clubs, we're making out that these are going to be bigger. You know, no wonder there's inconsistency the way we play. It's quite obvious, really, when you're bringing in youth players that don't know their own game. You know, Kilkenny probably doesn't know if he's an oldie midfielder yet, which I think he probably is, but he doesn't know that yet. You know, he's got to learn his trade. These are all people who, who are basically coming to Stoke like work experience. They're coming on loan to learn their trade. These are players that haven't got experience behind them. They haven't got football behind them. So when people go, oh, Smallbones small are a brilliant player, where are they getting that information from? From good talk from Southampton? Well, it can't be that much because Southampton were trying to get a deal done for him to go permanently. So... 
Same with Kilkenny. Bournemouth were thinking, well, if we can get a fee for him, we might as well go. Well, that isn't a good a good stead of how we're judging these players. I don't get it, really. So when we, Michael O'Neill got sacked and we did this, I, I come, I'm looking at it going, really, the only players that we've brought in are the, are the permanent players, but we haven't brought any of them really in. You know, at the end of this season, every player we've brought in this summer can really go. You know, Flint's only signed a one-year deal. Gale signed a one-year rolling deal. And all the rest are loans. We haven't brought anybody in for next season. So no wonder they aren't fighting. No wonder, because, you know, Aidan Flint probably knows this will be a one-season only, and he's got to think about a new club. So no wonder he's not bothered. No wonder Lucas' contract's up at the end of the season as well. If we look at that squad that went out on Saturday, Bonham's going at the end of the season. Flint's going at the end of the season. Fox is going at the end of the season. Fosu's going back to Brentford. Yes, Baker's staying. Smallbone's going back at the end of the season. Klukas' contract's up at the end of the season. We look at the forward line. Delap goes back to Man City at the end of the season. And then we've got Campbell. So in that entire squad that we played against Reading, there's only two players on the pitch that potentially could be here next season. And we wonder why there's no fight in them. Uh, absolutely, and I, I think other than Sterling, um, all of the signings have been Michael O'Neill signings. Um, clearly, I'm doing this pod for the first time today, and I haven't had my say on, on Michael O'Neill, and I don't want to delve into great detail about it. But I think clearly, sticking with that back three and a reticence to change from that has meant he's fallen on his own sword. I think there's other parts to it where for the first season when he came in, uh, absolutely fantastic and got a tune out of the players and that was what I was expecting from his experience with Northern Ireland international manager very small country not a great pool of players to choose from so he's very very restricted in terms of the players that he has where he's going to play them and he did an amazing job with them got them motivated working as a cohesive unit punching well above their weight and what really frustrated me is that, yes, he hasn't had any money. I totally get that. And if he had some of the money that his predecessors had, I think he would have done a much better job than they did. However, he didn't have much money. But he's brought these players in, and I don't see him getting... I didn't see him getting out of them a, a greater level of performance than what you would expect, or even on a par with what you'd expect. And I think that was a real frustration for me because understand he hasn't got much club management, he was new to the championship. But when you get to the end of his tenure, he's had good experience, he's seen the championship, he knows the mistakes, he knows what lessons that he would need to learn from and just wasn't getting it out of the players. And he kept flogging away with his 3-5-2 and it just wasn't happening. And uh, I think... In, in terms of the player recruitment, if, if it has just been Michael O'Neill bringing them in, clearly there's some hits. There's quite a few misses, I think, particularly in that loan market. But then you start asking questions about the overall strategy of the club. And I think, you know, with Mark Cartwright's time and other people being brought in, we just still haven't got it right. And, and I'm worried as well. Well, we'll go, we'll go more into depth about this because we never seem to... Ange always just avoids the question and starts talking about something else. <laughs> um, 
I've got I've got a real worry about where the club's going under under John Coates, and I'll I'll be brutally honest about it. I don't think the club will go anywhere soon. I think under his guidance at this moment in time, we're more likely to get relegated than promoted, in my opinion. Um, we've brought in three managers that before and after Stoke have proved they're good managers. Gary Rowett, you look at what he did at Birmingham, he got them into the playoffs and then weirdly got sacked. He did the same thing with Derby. Fair enough, he had a bit of money at Derby, but he built a good side and almost went up. He then left to join Stoke because he had a lot of money spend. And then all of a sudden, he's rubbish and he's out the job. Then Nathan Jones comes in. We've seen what he did at Luton before, you know, pretty much back-to-back promotions. Then he's gone back to Luton and within two seasons has near enough got them, well, got them into the playoffs and, and then obviously lost in the semi-final. And they'll be thereabouts and thereabouts again. Now, Michael O'Neill, fair enough, things didn't work out, but I, I truly believe because the club isn't willing to spend its way out of the problems we're in. Fair enough, they spent a lot of money when they first come, when we first dropped down, but that money was all parachute money. That was not money that come from the owner's pocket. And fair enough, they paid off the debt, but everybody has to pay off the debt. If I get a car on finance, I'm expected to pay that debt. I'm not going to get clapped by everybody for paying that. You know, if I go and work and I'm getting applauded in, they're going, why? Well, you've paid your debt, Ian. <laughs> Nobody gives a monkeys, do they? At the end of the day, if you, if you put the club in debt, you pay it off if you're a de- decent Tony. My worry is, for me, is that the club is... Because at the moment now, the way I look at the club, we have now become a League One, League Two club where you're building a team or bringing players in year by year. We've got four or five players that have got contracts, you know, some of the younger players that have come through. But every, pretty much, well, I think every single player we've brought in this summer will be gone at the end of the year, except Gale if we decide to activate a second year. So when I look at that, that isn't backing a manager. And then we look at the year before, it was all loans again and free transfers. And Michael O'Neill has been given no money. And I'm going to sit here and say he'll probably go on to another job, Michael will, and probably will become a success. Because we know he can do well, because he, he did it before yeah. when he first came in Stoke. We were brilliant under O'Neill, and everyone was excited. But as soon as he started coming into transfer window after transfer window, we were bringing in loan signings of people that weren't playing football. It's like Ostergaard, he had one season on loan at Coventry. You know, you look at... Surridge, who we spent, what was it, 1.5 million or something on, or was it 2 million? We brought him in, he played about 25 games for Bournemouth. You know, we're bringing in players that have got no experience, and why is that? Because they're cheap. And until we change what we're doing when we talk about the transfer targets and we talk about it, I mean, it's like Matt Clark, you know, with the finances our owners have got, and he's going to Middlesbrough over Stoke. Why is that? For me, this excuse of FFP has been going on too long because it never affected Villa and it didn't affect Nottingham Forest because they, they spent about £200 million altogether in three years in the, in, the, in the championship. So, for me, it's just an excuse because that money was also covered by the parachute payments. Fair enough, we had big wages, which is where our problems lied. But I don't get where we're going, do you? No, not at the moment. Um, I think with the, I'll tackle FFP first. So I think with that, 
clearly we do have to stay within certain parameters, uh, otherwise we're going to get points deductions. So they're trying to do the right thing in terms of sticking within that. Don't bite my head off, Ian. I'll come round to my point. So they're trying to stick within it, okay? Um, I know there's several chairmen up and down the the country and championship clubs who've said, well, we'll take an approach where we're going to spend as much money as we've got, bring in all these top-quality players, we'll end up near the top of the table, albeit this is absolutely still a gamble because we put lots of money into the transfers when we came down, albeit in parachute payments, but it was actually more money than we spent in the previous season in the Premier League. And then if it doesn't work out, we'll take the hit of of the points that we're going to be deducted because we're going to get more than that and still finish in the playoffs or higher. Clearly the very wealthy owners, I don't think at all that we're sort of you know wavering from that ambition but I think where other clubs are set up and they've got the head coach roles because they've got a technical board etc above them or whatever you want to call it that's the way that certain clubs are set up historically have gone for managers who look after the whole valley lot as Sir Alex Ferguson would have used to have done for Man United and I think we were very lucky with someone like Tony Pulis, who was prudent, and he sorted everything out from from top to toe with the club. I think Michael O'Neill, in terms of sorting things out, as a manager, is probably of the same ilk in that regard. And clearly, he's been given no money. And I think you're quite right. He will go on and he will be a big success elsewhere. I've no doubt about that. What worries me is trying to cross between the lines of business and football because they're not the same thing. So when I hear that John Coates is on the technical board for Stoke, I don't understand that. I don't understand why he needs a role on a technical board. Uh, And that is my worry uh, because they don't have the experience as football people. Absolutely astounding in terms of a business sense fantastic but the two don't mix and to, to think that because you own a football club you can step in and make decisions I think it's very naive uh, and it is a worry for me well it's definitely a worry because I'll be honest I don't think they will bring sporting directors in and football directors because they will want to revamp everything we don't spend a lot of money on our scouting networks we don't spend a lot of money I don't, I, I, apparently we've got an analytics team I mean whoever's on it clearly needs to be sacked but that's only something that's becoming over the last two seasons but the problem is for me there's, there's literally the manager and then there's no one there's nobody above him but I think that's the way they like to run it because then it puts the pressure off them and just constantly puts them on the manager because that's how Stoke fans are isn't it? as soon as the results start going bad we need a new manager we could bring Pep in to this to this football club and with the way it's run he'd fail because he because it doesn't matter what we do in this chat unless we bring I've said this before on the podcast and I'll get I'll go into it quickly if it was up to me I'd bring somebody like a Sam Allardyce in or bring a Pulis back because with the way our structure is our structure is run like it's still 2005 instead of there's been no upgrade there's been no analytics team brought in, no sporting director to change and look after that. 
It's just basically people with nobody above them to run it. So whoever the analytics reports to is John Coates. Whoever is in charge of the scouting networks reports to John Coates or maybe the manager. That's the problem with Stoke. This is why we fail every season in the transfer window because we've got nobody in there who will who will sort out a new way of doing things because they don't want to pay for it. They, John Coates knows if he brings a football director in, say, I don't know, somebody in Portugal is doing a great job and he thinks, right, we'll bring him in, whatever costs, we'll bring him in. He'll come in and go, this all needs change. We need a scouting network of 30 people. We need them all in Portugal. We need them in this country. We need them in that country. With where we are now, it costs, I'd probably say about four to five million to sort out our our scouting networks, our analytics-based systems, our analysts as well, go into that as well, because we haven't got any of them, in my opinion. They say they do, I don't believe it, because a perfect example is Fosu. Whoever's running analytics has apparently said that he's a right wing-back, in what world of anywhere. Same with Harry Clark, same with a lot of... This is why our players are failing, because... The trust, basically, this is how I think it has. We have a scouting network, they'll go out and get players. They'll come back with a list of five and go, Michael, which one do you want? Well, I've not heard of them three, so I'll have him. Well, we can't we can't pay for him. Oh, well, I'll have him then. <laughs> that That's how I think it looks to me. I don't know how you think it is, but it, it's it's got to be changed, has not it? Yeah, it, it does have to be changed, I think. Just off the top of my head, Brentford's Brighton, Crystal Palace, you know, teams that have been progressive, they've had, you know, uh, more Brighton than Crystal Palace have, you know, had, had long-term success. Uh, if you don't have that sort of sporting director role in there and someone who's looking after the continuity of the club, no matter what manager comes in, then you're going to have this chopping and changing every time a new manager comes in if he's just bringing in his own players. And the irony of it is, is that not paying the money to have a scouting network is more expensive to chop and change the players that each manager is coming in with than having a scouting network set up in the first place. Now, from the reports I've heard, Michael O'Neill did a very good job in terms of revamping things behind the scenes. I think, you know, Nathan Jones as a young progressive manager from the analytics side... Uh, more looking at the, the, the team internally was going down that route as well. However, it is not going to be any good if the person that you're reporting to at the top is not a football person. Uh, I just whatever they've got set up, if that is the reporting line, it's not going to work. No, of course it's not because they won't they won't understand. I mean, it, like Tony Pulis was a success because he did have a footballing director, which was. No, sorry, a CEO, which was Tony Scholes, and the amount of reports I've heard where Pulis has said, I want this player, and Scholes has said, no, no, we can't afford it, and he's gone over his head and gone to Peter himself, and then the deal's gone through. Apparently, um, Crouch was one of them, where the club was saying, we can't afford to get him at this time or whatever, and then he's gone above him and they've got the deal done. You know, the problem is for me is that the people in the higher ends, there is a CEO, for example, but he'll only ever make financial decisions same as Tony Scholes yeah, did business. yeah, it, yeah it's business money business. That that's all that our board or anybody high above cares about 
it seems like for me, and this is just my personal opinion, it seems like to me, especially since John's gone in, that it's all about not spending, because apparently we're running off his own resources. Clubs like Stoke City and club, other than the top six, maybe the top seven or eight, depending, clubs like Stoke City cannot run off their own resources if they want to be successful. It will never happen. Money has to come in from another source. We're never going to get Nike paying, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, 350 million to be sponsors of our shirts. It's not going to happen. You know, Samsung or Sony aren't going to go, here is 400 million. We want to sponsor you, be your new shirt sponsor. It's not going to happen. So for me, the money has to come from the coach family. And from reports I've had, it's not coming in. It, it, fair enough, they're paying the debts off and they're keeping the club ticking, but the cl club's just not going anywhere. And that's my big issue. And it has been for a long time. You know, it's been, we've been now in the championship for four years. We haven't spent any money apart from the first season. Where we, I know we spent ridiculous amounts of money, but that was parachute payments. Where's the money coming in from the owners? That's where I want now. And I understand FFP is a problem, and but next season when that's gone, I'm expecting a flood of money next season, 30, 40, 50 million. Because if they've got any ambition, that's what I'm expecting. Are we, um, are we sure? It's, I, I think maybe to the contrary, I'm just intrigued. Is, is it definitely up next season, Ian? Is it FFP? Well, that's what. Well, that's what I've been told by by people on the on the board. I mean, I've spoke to a financial advisor who knows a lot about football as well, because he, he's in the game, and he told me he has no he has no clue why Stoke are in the position they're in. He said he has no clue of why Stoke can't spend any money. He said, fair enough, there's FFP there, and, and that's going to go down to wages and what's been going on, but he doesn't understand why Stoke can't flood him money in. That's what he said. And he, and he, he, he I can't say his name. I'd love to say his name, but I can't because he's, no, no. He, he'd probably sue me and I haven't got a lot as it is. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of them. But with these energy prices. Yeah, especially now, yeah. You can pay me bill. <laughs> but that, that's as far as it goes. Change has got to happen, but it's got to start happening. I mean, I can remember he come out, John did, and said, we've learned from his mistakes of the first season of the championship. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I've learned, seen them do since, has just become more tight. You've <laughs> just gone from spending loads to spending nothing. I mean, you've got to remember when we're in the Premier League. I don't. I might be wrong, but I, I've ne we never spent over twenty million when we're in the Premier League in, in a single season on players, no. which is frightening. Uh, the message is it absolutely is. I, I know prices have gone up, and then they've been tempered somewhat with COVID. But then again, this year it seems that prices have gone up but I even remember back then in the Premier League this talk of sustainability and I thought well it's a great idea to have and if you have got the revenue to cover it absolutely fantastic go for it and you know you're going to be in, in solid hands the club's going to be in no danger of going under etc etc but when we were well placed in the Premier League and we had the chance to kick on and spend the money we didn't do it and all of the assets that we bought in None of them have made a profit, I think probably other than Arnautovic, but then we never replaced him. Well, we did, but with a free transfer, and that tells you all you need to know. Uh, I think if you've got someone from a sporting capacity, 
at the, on the top table, you're looking at succession planning, right? So if the manager goes, this is who we've got next, who plays a similar brand of football, same sort of ethics, same sort of philosophies about football, right? If this player is to go or gets injured, this is plan A, plan B, plan C of who we bring in. And it just seems to be a shotgun approach across the club. Yeah, well, it is. It's, it's like so many years. Well, it is. It's like Mark Hughes. We sat Mark Hughes. We like playing attacking football, and then we brought Paul Lambert in. And, and, and I've said this before in the podcast, and it's not a joke. I, there's a lad, Dom, Dom from my place. He's a big Vale fan, and he said to me at the start of the season, "I'd like a new manager." I think their manager just got sacked. I can't think who it was. And I said to him, "Well, Paul Lambert's available. He'll do you a good job at Vin League too. He'll he'll sort you out." <laughs> And then six months later, somehow, he becomes Stoke manager. I, I've never been more embarrassed in my life. And he took us down, which was obviously going to happen because he was, you know, he, he couldn't even keep keep a job in, in the struggling championships. And then all of a sudden, he was he was Stoke manager. It comes to showing, and we, we look at what we did this time. We brought Gary Rowerton, who was a very stingent defensive manager, but you give him loads of money. And then you replace him with a very creative attacking manager in Nathan Jones. Then we went pragmatic again with a bit of an all-rounder but defensive in Michael O'Neill. And then now we've got in a, in a poor man's Tony Pulis with Alex Neal. So at least this time they've actually followed a similar suit. Whereas before it was attacking, defending, attacking, defending. It seemed like wherever we were. I mean, I, I don't know. For me, the club is... It, I don't care what anybody says. For me, the club is badly run. And I, I don't mind saying it. It's on this podcast, I'll say it publicly. I'm not against the Coates family by any means. I think everybody knows that. But I'm against what they're doing at the moment. It seems like we're becoming a secondary wheel that is run by people that don't really know what they're doing. And I've got every right to say that because, you know, John's only experience in football, the man who's kind of running everything at the moment, his only experience has been sat next to his dad watching what goes on there. You know, there's no experience there. You, you know, I don't understand why we aren't looking at, for example, Celtic and the way they're doing it. We've got the finances. We've got the fourth richest owner in this, in, in well, pretty much world football from what I'm hearing. Well, not probably not world, but in England anyway. We've got the fourth or fifth richest owners in this, but we're scrimping and saving in every aspect of the club, which I don't understand. We should be flooding that club with the best people for the job, best sporting director, best analytics team, best this, because we can afford pay them more than United do. But for some reason, we're bringing in West Brom's cast-off CEO, we're bringing in nobody else. We've got one of the smallest scouting networks, and I know that by fact. We've got one of the smallest scouting networks in Championship. Apparently, there's three clubs in, the, in League One that have got a better scouting network than us. Our analytics is apparently two people. Our social media crew is probably one of the smallest in... I think is the smallest or the second smallest in the Championship. Luton have got, have got a better social media page, social media team than us. That's the thing that scares me. That you know we've got the richest owners in this in this division by a country mile, but we've got the poorest of a lot of other things. You know that's where I'm looking at it. But these things are hidden to the normal fan, and that's where my fear yeah, is. Absolutely. Yeah, I, certainly I'm not sort of privy to that. Uh, I think um, you know, 
you know, my, my take on a high level from a, from a fan who, who isn't privy to that is that it seems very naive to me. I think that the owners, I absolutely believe they've got the best intentions and, and clearly they back, they have backed the club with an amount of money. We're saying that, you know, there's, there's argument for more a lot, and maybe a lot more. Um, but the, the naivety, I think, and the frustration for me is being very astute business people and not understanding that you put people in roles who are specialists and that's how you're going to get the best outcome overall. I just think it's very naive. I, I don't understand it. No, I don't. And before we depress everybody even more about the sad state of our beautiful football club, we'll go in with predictions of Luton in the return of Nathan Jones, which is the next match, I believe. Wow. Um, <laughs> what a game up next. Difficult one to call. I think if we, um, obviously, if we play anything like we did against Reading, we're not uh, in for a good result. I think if we go back to the back four, we have, we have the pressing from the front, I think we could nick something, but it'll be a low-scoring game. Someone tells me overall one-one. I think one-one. I'm going to go in for a one-nil loss. I think um, the problem is with Nathan Jones is it's a very hit and miss bag isn't it with him at the moment because let's be honest, look at how much he's having to spend. He's doing miracles really with what he's got. Um, I just don't think. Own, uh, to be honest, when I look at it, there's there's an array of players, but you don't really know who to pick. I mean, even I struggle. I, I think do I want the Lap and Gale? Do I want Brown and C- Campbell? Or you know, even I'm in the same boat. I'm not sure yet. I think it's going to take Michael O'Neill a few weeks yet before he starts figuring out what he wants to do. And I think Jones Alex has Neil, come. Yeah, 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 Alex Neil. Sorry, it's one of them. Isn't it? But. I, I, I don't think he's quite there yet and I think we'll lose to Nathan Jones I think he's got the the idea of it I think his side's starting to tinker along quite nicely and I think we're playing him at the wrong time I think he'll he'll probably panic a bit and maybe swap things round a bit more which never helps us You know, we remember Nathan Jones doing it himself where he was swapping changing too much and that's what ended up losing him the job but it's because he couldn't find the cohesion of what he had and I, let's be honest, I don't think it's going to be that good. But you never know. Yeah, uh, I mean, you never know. You never know. Um, but yeah, certainly the Reading performance hasn't inspired any confidence. No. Right, so thanks for that. We've ran very long over on this one, Chris, but it's a nice addition to come in. Welcome to the team, as it were. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, hopefully offer a, a different perspective to, to what Andrew does, anyway. Yeah, I've been minded to re- remind you of the, the old firm result at the weekend. Uh, no, we no, don't. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the old firm derby this weekend because the referee was a disgrace, and that's all I'm going to leave it with. Okay. <laughs> right, you are. Let me guess, Angela has put you up to that, hasn't she? Maybe. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Wait till the see, because she will be on later. I'm, I'm not impressed. Yes, uh, Celtic did beat Rangers 4-0 and I'm not happy about it. Um, Rangers were, to be honest, garbage. Yeah, but that's the end of that. So thanks for that, Chris. Well, after Chris's great debut on the show, we bring back a regular. Hello, Ange. Hello. 
Chris can stay on forever as far as I'm concerned. Just back from Reading. Really, really disappointed. I'll give you my player ratings very quickly. Jack Bonham, while well, he wore the shirt, I thought he was dreadful for the goal. He made a couple of decent saves. Three. Morgan Fox, not particularly impressed. Four. Aidan Flint, four. Sam Cookus supposedly got injured towards the end, which is another person we're not going to see much of in the next few weeks, I believe. Hamstring. Mr. Sitter, four. Lewis Baker isn't a defensive midfielder. Four. Jacob Brown completely wasted his wing back. Three. Tyrese Campbell. I'm sure Ian, you thought he was great. I didn't. Four. Ben Wilmot. He was my man of the match, even though he gave away the penalty, which I didn't think was a, a fair penalty. I thought it was a bit harsh. Five. Liam Delap. God, we could have him, Messi, Ronaldo and Gale in the same forward line. with great nothing that he wouldn't score. Two. Will Smallbone, three, and Tariq Fosu, two. And then if you look at the subs, Jordan Thompson, three, Nick Powell, four, although I do think I'm being a bit harsh on Nick Powell, uh, DiMaggio Wright-Phillips, three. I thought the overall performance was dreadful. Uh, the manager tried his best, but when you're working with uh, square pegs and putting them in round holes, we've seen this for many years, it doesn't work. I just genuinely think the square pegs he's putting in the round holes at the moment aren't even up to what he what we had with Michael O'Neill. Um, but now, as you as I'm talking to you now, they're actually showing the goal for Reading, the first goal, and I've just seen again. Flint probably should have cleared it on the line. He shins it into his own net, but you quite clearly see Jack Bonham say to a player, "It bounced so high." Well, that's what long clearances do. I thought we were awful. Wilmot got the equaliser, which was a bit deflected. They've just shown the penalty again. I don't think it was a foul, but there we go. Um, and that's that. The good part of the, the day was the women won today. The women won 1-0, thanks to our captain, Meg Bowyer, who scored the winner. And I can't say how well they played, because I didn't see the game. And I'm just going to ask you now, Ian, if I remember rightly, and I'm pretty sure I do... We had a little bet on today's game, and I'm sure I said Reading would win 2-1. No, you didn't. <laughs> you said he'd win. <laughs> and no draw you put down, you said 1-1 one, one draw. Yes, and you said they'd win. I sne- uh, yeah, yes, I think, you did. I said they'd I win 1-0. I, I am the nearest. I am the, so I get the prize. There's no point still. We <laughs> keep trying to get points. But this is it. I mean, how many games are we in now? And we're still 1-0. Too many. Too many. And it, uh, the women played Big House, by the way. I just don't know what else to say. I mean, I left Stoke today at 7.15. People on the buses left at 7 o'clock. It's a long way to go to see your team not doing very well. But... Onwards we go. We have to hope that things get better. I'm really glad that you had Chris on. He's a, he's a lovely bloke. He supports Stoke all the way from Bristol because his dad was a Stoke fan. I knew his dad. Lovely man. And um, I think he should continue now to do the podcast until Stoke win again. So I'll see you next season. <laughs> Andy, slow down. That You've just tore everything up in two minutes. So... <laughs> Right, go back into so that so you we were garbage, weren't we? There's just no umph in the team. There's absolutely no umph. That that's all I can say. There's normally you get a manager bounce, 
And it looks like we had a manager bounce before we had a new manager when we played at Blackburn. I thought we were lucky to get a point midweek. I've told you what I think about about the team. I am a bit concerned that some of our players think, well, I'm going to play whatever the match is because we're that desperate for players. You can't afford to drop me. And that's probably true. But they've got to... They've got to change this mentality they've got. I know we've got some young kids uh, in the team, but I'm, I'm quite concerned that the, the apparent lack of fitness and the complete lack of balance of the team. It was a very depressing day, and all right, OK, they are now second. They're not very good, which makes me feel let's do a Nottingham Forest and go from near the bottom, because we are, I think they were bottom, right the way up the, up the table, because... That's all I can say. We're in trouble. To be honest, I've said this before that I think we're in trouble. And the problem is why we've got probably a squad that doesn't give a monkeys is because apart from Gale, who is only on a one-year rolling deal, every single player we've brought in will not be here next season. That's got that's going to have a big effect on a player's mentality. You know, Aidan Flint or whoever, Smallbone, all them... They know they're not going to be here next season, so they're not going to fight for it, are they? You know, if there was incentive of maybe buying a few of these players, they, or some of them we did bring in permanently, but we've bought... I mean, I watched on this, and it's something that League One and League Two clubs do, isn't it, where they'll bring a player on a one-year deal and then let them go and, and then recycle the squad. You don't do that in the Championship, though. I've never, done, never known that. So, no wonder there's an imbalance, because we, it seems like we've got whatever we could... And we've basically bought four inexperienced players in to do what, really? I mean, Connor Taylor's got more experience with his loan spell at Bristol Rovers where he played regular football than Smallbone, Clark, who, yeah, fair enough, he's injured, Fossu and many of the other players that have barely played football. You know, we're expecting Liam Delap be the championship Haaland. He's only played 25 minutes of football before coming Stoke. Yeah, yeah. And I don't understand. I don't understand on the radio as well because I was listening to the radio and and you, you know they they're coming out going this team should be doing well and I'm 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 struggling to understand where they're getting this information from that this team's good on paper. What for the youth levels? Because that's what you're judging four of the signings off. Yes, yeah, true. What do you think will happen? What do you want to happen next with this team? <sighs> I'll be brutally, brutally honest. Yeah. Stay in the league. That's all I want this team to do this season. Stay in the league, because the way they're playing, they look, they look dead and buried. Whatever they put out. I mean, they were lucky against Swansea, but I like the four in the back. We seem to look better, and I don't understand why Alex Neal changed that to this back at the free and something that didn't work for Michael O'Neill for two years. Oh, I know. I'll go back to that. You know, Flint looked like an headless chicken. Morgan Fox out of position again. Ben Wilmot was the best in his position because finally we've seen him in his position. Foster, um, Foster isn't a left wing back. But Brown definitely isn't a right wing back. We look at the midfield, it looked toothless. Baker was too deep. Klukas looked like an headless chicken. Smallbone kept going in and out of the game. He was hiding, basically. And then you had Delap, who was knackered after 30 minutes. And then you had um, Campbell, who its spells did all right, but didn't do a lot of other things right. I'm worried I am for this season. I've got to be brutally honest, because we normally have a bounce. We had a bounce thanks to Dean Alden, and then he's come in. 
And we look we look worse than we did under Michael O'Neill. We seem to be getting worse rather than better. And I'm really worried. I'm not that worried yet because I do think that things will come good. Everybody says we have a talented squad. We've heard this for several years. The thing that disappointed me again was Tom Ince ran himself daft for the opposition. We never really saw that at Stoke. And that's um, that just seems to be the, the measure of people that play for the club. But look... We are where we are. Um, we've got to look forward to the Luton game now. What are your thoughts on that with me? <laughs> um, I predicted 1-0 Luton. Really? Yeah, yeah. How can I put it? I'm not predicting 1-0 Luton. I think it's going to be more. Oh, it would be Luton. I, I think it could be three. To be honest, they're a well-organised side. They play very good attacking football. And with with how disjointed we are, we're begging fair play. I mean, the only thing that, for me, will save us from getting, from going down this season is Nick Powell and Suti. If we can get them back and fit. That's the only thing that I'm looking at that could save us this season. But the truth of the matter is, whatever happens, I think, with, with Powell and Suti... They're going to walk at the end of the season, aren't they? Simple as that. You know, Powell's going to want moved to somewhere where he's got a chance of promotion. And that's where we are now, isn't it, really? And when we look at Luton, Luton are a very good attacking side. You could be right. I'm, I've tried to go positive with a 1-0 defeat, which shows you how far we've dropped at the moment. But if you're predicting 3-0, you've probably more chance of getting it right with, with the way we are at the moment. When I listen back to the interview I did with um, Alex Neal straight after the game, and it's always interesting when you speak to uh, a manager straight after because they, they tend to say things that they wouldn't do if they had more time. I thought he sounded really exasperated with the situation. Um, he already had spoken about the lack of fitness, which is astounding considering that they've had a pre-season. I think it's embarrassing for the club as a whole, to be honest. I don't, I don't know why that's happened. But I, I get the sense that um, his frustration is he's unhappy with some of the players. I think he's got a massive job to turn it round because I think some of the players are at rock-bottom confidence. And I think Luton know that. And when you look at how he played Fosu, who I didn't think was good, or Brown, who I didn't think is good, as wing-backs, they will exploit, exploit it. Luton will exploit it. And Nathan Jones doesn't need anything to get up to play against us. But if Nick Powell plays, that could be the big difference because whilst Powell isn't obviously match fit at the moment, he looked one of the fittest players on the pitch for us. Ben Wilmot ran himself into the ground. Fox does his best. They look more balanced with Fox on the pitch, but I, I, I think that Luton will be uh, the last step too far for us because I think then uh, having this extra week in training might help. I think Stoke will be a very different side after the break, but we've got a very difficult October. Well, of course we have, yeah. It's going to be a difficult competition. I mean, it's nice to have a week break, so I'm hoping he can fix something there. But it was there was a lot of weird things that I saw, like the substitutions. Were you happy with them? I mean, we have, we'll go on the referee rating quickly. What did you think of him? was quite kind to us on some occasions I thought there was, I mean there was one situation which I don't know if you saw on TV where Baker who was being left for dead by, I, I think it was, it doesn't matter, it was the guy whose name I can't present, uh, pronounce but he's, I'll call him Kelvin the number 35, Exibati Omiana whatever his name is um, he left him for dead and, and Baker was so far left for dead he tried to catch him once 
by grabbing his shirt, he couldn't get it, and once by kicking him. Now, in a normal match, a decent referee would have booked him for that, but he didn't. I thought Dilap was very lucky on a couple of occasions. Didn't think the ref was great, but by normal standard refs, I'll give him a seven, uh, because I've seen the replay several times of the penalty. I personally don't think it's a penalty, but Wilmot doesn't help because he looks straight up at the ref, and that's normally when they get given. I mean, it was just a really awful day, and... Where's the manager bounce? Everybody else gets a manager bounce. We get a manager slump. And I'm not blaming the manager. It's it's almost as if somebody stuck a little needle in the balloon and pricked all the air out of it. And that's all, all you can say. I mean, the first goal was absolutely ridiculous. You can't legislate for that. I mean, it's almost as if we don't struggle enough as it is. I just hope things will, will get better. I mean, as I say, you've got a whole week to get the interview. Um, but I thought when you hear his interview with me afterwards, he sounded really fed up with the second half performance, and quite rightly so. Uh, I, I just think uh, the lack of fitness and also some lack of effort. Now that could it could look like lack of, lack of effort because people have lost their confidence. But there were a couple of players to me who uh, didn't do it, and I thought we were far too open the the whole the whole match. And you sit there laughing at me going to watch to watch. Uh, at some point soon, Ian, I will come and visit wherever you are in the stadium and I'll give you what for. Good luck finding me. But um, <laughs> Alex Neal will go on with his rating. I've gone very low, I'll be honest, with his first rating as well. I want you to explain to me, while we're chasing the game, we decide to bring Liam Delap off for Connor Taylor. Uh, well, Connor Taylor, I believe, is injured. I believe he's carrying an injury. The reason I believe that is because you can see how the way he's running. I think him and Jagielka would be better in the defence than how we set up at the moment. Partly because, as you've said, Connor Taylor's played more matches and he's younger and he's fitter. Uh, it just depends if... I think he's probably got a strain and, and if they can limp him through to, to, the, to the break. In terms of rating Alec Neal, I'm going to give him a five because I don't think you can blame him for having to use some some players that he's having to use because we've got seven or eight out injured. So whilst I'm... Look, I don't think anything's changed and I'm sure Chris will have said to you it's early days yet, but I just don't see the players... Um, yeah, they fought back and got that point midweek. They were very lucky in my opinion. When you look at the performance at Blackburn and you look at the two performances since, I would say that there's been a, a massive drop-off since then. I don't know why that is. Whether they just aren't, aren't sure of what they've got to do, whether they're absolutely shattered with the intensity of the training, which in itself is a dreadful indictment on not just not just the regime that's left, but on the fitness coaches. You know, there's, there's so many people that work in a football club now and I also noticed that today he was only consulting when I looked. I don't know, Ian, you might have um, seen differently. Uh, he was only consulting with his new assistant. Uh, so I'm not sure that you can say he didn't do as well as he could today. And the amount of frustration afterwards said to me that uh, I wouldn't like to be in training on Monday or Tuesday. Well, I think a rocket has put up the arse has probably needed at this moment in time. The fitness, you could probably look down to these players of Aidan Flint didn't have a club and, you know, some of these youngsters have not really played football, really. You have to look at that way of it as well. I mean, 
Liam Delap looks knackered after 30 minutes today. He, he was knackered. Well, Liam Delap, as, as you've, you've pointed out to me and, and is in the pod earlier, Liam Delap has not played this level of football. And you can't... It, whoever you've got up front, if you've not got a midfield creating chances... Where was the midfield today? If you haven't got a midfield doing that, then it doesn't matter who you've got up front. You're not going to score. You're just not. I mean, it's frustration. The players are coming back and back and back because they're frustrated. And I thought we missed Gail's movement today. I really did. For, for me, the problem's the wings. The pro- for me, the, we, we, the, the problem is with this three in the midfield and we're in this five at the, five at the back, three defenders, whatever. The problem is, is that we haven't got wing backs. In this system, it doesn't matter how good you are or how good your players are, you've got to have three incredible passes of the ball in midfield to create chances. We haven't got them. You know, Klukas can do it now and again. Baker, don't know what he was doing today, he looked out the game again, nearly called him Nathan again. It's just, the, the problem is for me is that I don't understand why he's gone back to a free at the back system when he knows it doesn't work. I didn't understand why he put Campbell as a left on the left of the forward two rather than the right where he's dangerous. Delap, to be honest, shouldn't be starting games. I feel sorry for Brown because Brown at least is I think still our top goal scorer in two or two goals. But he's been dropped to the right wing back for this young lad who's never played football. You're supposed to earn your way into the team, not just be put in because apparently you're a wonder kid at Man City's academy. It's silly. You know, you have to earn your way in. Now, if, if he come off the bench against Blackburn and scored a goal, you'd go, fair enough, get, like, give him another chance. But, but he hasn't. Campbell deserved his chance because he scored the equaliser against Swansea. So you give him a run out. And it was nice to see him get 90 minutes as well because he needs to get them legs moving again. But... There's a lot of things I didn't understand. Fossey was a, is a left wing back. Made no sense. You should you don't have wing backs that play on the left side who are right footed because they can't they can't defend it properly. Even though he isn't a defender, whoever's brought him as a defender, I don't know. You know, obviously things will change when Sterling comes back fit. And I'm hoping to God this Ben Foster rumour is true. Yes. Well, we were always chasing that game today, and, and, and when you saw the penalty, even though I didn't think it was a penalty, it was, because it was given, Baker and Wilmot, in, in the lead-up to that penalty, there were, there were some really, really lazy tackles, right? Then you've got the forwards who get frustrated, and, and they've lost confidence because they get zero service at all. The defending's comical. Anybody who puts a high ball between our defenders knows that they're going to they're gonna have a chance of scoring. <clears throat> Baker's ineffective in that role because he's too too deep. And I think that helps to make the morale low because there's no belief. I, I honestly don't think at this moment in time Pep Guardiola could get a tune out of this lot because we concede so many goals and we're chasing all the way through. You know, but the biggest thing for me, the most startling thing for me, is I expected more running, more chasing, a higher intensity as the players tried to impress the new manager. Instead, they're not either fit enough to do the high intensity chasing or the running, or they do think that because nobody's fit at the moment, they're going to play anyway. And that's not good. Well, now we're understanding why Michael O'Neill was putting the system in now, don't we? <laughs> I Look, I told you, you... I told you and I told several other people, right? 
Michael O'Neill came in here and did a great job. And a lot of people say, but the football was dire. It's no better now. And I can see this happening for the next season or two. Because, yeah, the squad's a little bit unbalanced, right? But he was right with what he said about why you can only play a certain way. And partly of that is because of the players he bought. And then people will turn around and say, well, that's his fault. He had no money. And nobody would have done better in his situation. But the club decided it was time for a change. And now you're seeing that the job probably is almost as big as a couple of years ago. Because if you stand still in any sport or any walk of life, you go backwards. We aren't spending money. We are going to go backwards. And we have to just get over this next 12 months and hope that we we get better luck with the the um, with the FFP or it changes. Well, thanks for that, Ange. Well, well, I think that's a good place to end it. Really, this podcast it's a long one. I'll be honest, but it's it's a two one, and we're going to introduce some new things next week. So that's another one done. I know it's a real long one this week, but I've decided to introduce a new character. Because we're soon going to be doing two podcasts a week. We're going to be doing a preview show and we're going to be doing the after show, which is the ratings and talking about what happened in the game. I hope you're going to get involved in this and start listening to it. I know it doesn't lead a lot of time for you to listen to both podcasts, but I'm hoping you're going to enjoy the content. Chris Chris and Andrew are going to be swapping places. One week they'll do the Friday show and then one week they'll do the Sunday show. So I hope you enjoy. I mean, if you're new to the podcast and you've only just found it, make sure you look on any podcast platform ID and you will see the post podcast as long as you type it in. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. I want you to add and get involved. We're also on a Facebook group page, which is The Potters link yourself onto that and get involved. So thanks for listening to Rob. All the best.